Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we are in week four of our series called Who's Your One? And this series is about acknowledging and and answering the call of God on our lives to personal evangelism. And each one of us have been called to live this life of sharing the good news of Jesus. It is the Great Commission that was, get, that was given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28 when he said, go therefore and make what? Disciples. So how do they become disciples? They become disciples by us sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been called to live this life. But let's, let's be honest. If, if we think about personal evangelism, let's just own the fact that it's difficult for some of us, right? It's awkward. It's hard. Some of us struggle to to have one-on-one conversations where we personally share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason it's difficult, I think the reason it's awkward, I think it's because we've we've probably believed some things that aren't true. We've We've accepted some things that simply shouldn't be accepted. The first is this. I think some believers don't share their faith in Jesus because they feel unqualified. They feel unqualified. Have you ever been afraid to share the gospel or to have a gospel conversation because you were afraid they were going to ask a question you couldn't answer? Oh, what if they ask me something I don't know? Oh, man, that's going to disqualify me. I'm going to, I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm, oh, man, it's terrible. No, that's, but we struggle with that, right? Like, like somehow us having all of this knowledge is what God needs to save that person. When in reality... What God wants us to do is open our mouth and share the good news and trust him with the rest. First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I want you to know that verse because I want you to remember the next time the enemy whispers, you don't know enough. They're going to ask you something you don't know. You can quote back God's word and say, His divine power has given me everything that I need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called me. I want you to know it isn't about how much you know. It is about who you know. Amen? So sometimes we feel unqualified. I think sometimes um, believers think it will hurt their relationships. Oh, it's it's going to hurt the relationship if I share. It's going to... It's going to hurt their feelings. It's going to make it awkward. They're not going to be my friend. I'm going to lose that connection that I have with them. It's just not, it's just not worth it. But if you think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, meaning put the things of God first, follow the commands of God first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, how you'll be provisioned, your relationships. He is saying, if you will seek first the kingdom, be obedient to what I've called you to do, I will take care of the rest. So we've got to trust God 
with these relationships when it's time to engage. So sometimes we feel unqualified. I think sometimes we're hesitant because we think it'll hurt the relationship. I think sometimes believers believe the lie that says all we really have to do is live good, moral lives. All we have to do is live, live good, moral lives. I've heard so many men and women quote who they think is St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, do what? Use words. So they quote that to themselves, and most of us use it as a cop-out so that we never have to fight through the awkward of preaching and sharing the name of Jesus. First of all, St. Francis didn't even say that. That's not what he said. And St. Francis was one of the great preachers of his time. He was an evangelist. He shared the gospel. We aren't called simply to live good moral lives. Yes, should the life of a believer stand out in our society, in our culture as being different, as being unique, as being something above the rest? Yes, it should. But if we aren't opening our mouth to declare the good news, then we are not walking in the full obedience to the call God has put on our life to make disciples. I think the last thing believers uh, struggle with is there is this this belief that this is only for the professionals. It's why we have a pastor. It's why we have a church staff. It's why we have life group leaders. It's why we send people on mission. Listen, I give my tithe, uh, I go to church, and, and they take care of that part. But can I just tell you, that is not what we see in God's Word. That is not what we see in the book of Acts. If you think about the early church, none of them were professionals because none of them have ever done it before. None of them were professionals. God called ordinary men and women like me and like you, and he called them to step out in obedience, and through them, he did the extraordinary. That's what we see in God's word. Have you ever thought about the reality that Jesus bet my salvation and yours on 12 very ordinary men? He bet our salvation on 12 men, fishermen, government workers, a physician. He bet our salvation that those 12 ordinary men would be obedient with the message of the gospel and declare it. And through 2,000 years of it being declared, it hit my ears when I was nine years old and I heard it and I responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though I've not been perfect from that day to this day, I've never been the same. He bet our salvation on their willingness to declare. Why do I say that? Because he is trusting us now to declare the truth of the gospel and the good news. And so we're going to look this morning at a man named Philip and how God used this ordinary man to do extraordinary things. So I want you to grab your Bible, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch there. This was a man, by the way, who had been castrated for the purposes of serving the queen. If you're not sure about all that, you can ask Ben Lofton, our group's minister. He'll explain the whole process to you. This was, this was a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
This guy mattered. This guy was important. All right? He, came, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to meet him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He is reading Isaiah chapter 53. He's reading about Jesus. He is reading a messianic prophecy. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. This guy is riding along. He's reading about Jesus and doesn't know it. God orchestrates that Philip would meet him. Philip starts from right there in that verse, shares the gospel. He gets saved. He's so overwhelmed that he goes, that water looks deep enough to get baptized. What prevents us from doing it right now? And Philip's like, nothing. So the caravan stops. He jumps down. They run to the water, and Philip baptizes him immediately. Some of you this morning, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and never taken the step of obedience of baptism. I am telling you, it is the public declaration of what God has done in you, and it matters. Why does it matter? Because Jesus did it, and Jesus commanded us to do it. If you have never been baptized following your salvation, would you find one of us? Find me, find one of our staff, take us by the hand, and we will help you do that. It is, it is that opportunity that you have to tell your spiritual family that Jesus has changed my life. And this eunuch, when he met Christ, he was so excited, he couldn't wait. Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, here's what I want you to know about this that Acts doesn't tell us. Church history tells us of this Ethiopian eunuch that he was the first person to carry the gospel to the continent of Africa. Up until this point, the gospel had not reached the continent of Africa, but through Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, the gospel then, as he goes into his home country, the gospel goes with him and he becomes the first missionary in the continent of Africa. Why is that important? Because Philip just said yes to obedience, having no idea what God might do through him. Can I tell you this morning, church, if you will just put your yes on the altar, God will use you in ways you can't even dream for yourself. So, how do we then position ourselves to be like Philip in this moment? How do we position ourselves to put our yes on the altar and be able to, to walk in obedience whenever and to whatever God 
calls us to do. I think there are four things that we can take away this morning from what we see in the book of Acts uh, in the life of Philip. And here's the first thing. I think we have to be faithful where we are. We have to be faithful where we are. You know, if, if you backtrack in Philip's life, we see him come on the scene in Acts chapter 6. Now, if you remember Acts chapter 6, this is a time when the, the church is exploding. There are hundreds of people coming to faith. The, the needs of the church are growing. Uh, the apostles are preaching. People are coming to Jesus. And it's just growing and it's becoming this thing that is almost unmanageable. And if you remember in Acts chapter 6, there was a complaint that rose up. Um, from a group of people that were frustrated about how the food was being distributed. They were concerned that their widows weren't being properly cared for. So the apostles kind of came up with a, re a remedy, and this is where we see the entrance of deacons. If you look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, this is the apostle speaking, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They said, we want you to identify men who can stand in this gap for us, who can do this work of serving the tables and distributing the food while we are able to do our primary calling, which is preaching the word and prayer. Philip was one of those seven who was chosen. He was a faithful servant. What we see next in Acts chapter 7 into chapter 8, we see the persecution of the church really take off. So we see Philip, um, uh, excuse me, we see Stephen, when he goes before the Sanhedrin in the temple court and preaches the gospel, and they become enraged and they stone him to death. We see the martyrdom of Stephen. And while that's going on, do you remember who was standing there giving his approval to all of it? Who was it? It was Saul, right? Who would later become Paul. Saul is standing there giving his approval to what was happening to Stephen, which means on some level it was under Saul's authority that Stephen was murdered. And right after that, it says the persecution really began and the church was scattered. The believers were scattered. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 6, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's worth pausing right there for just a moment. When it says that they were scattered... It doesn't mean they were lost on the walk home. It doesn't mean they were mildly inconvenienced in which way they had to go. When it says they were scattered, it meant they left one life and had to run and flee. Saul was pursuing. He had people with him that were pursuing. They were being hunted. Some were being killed. They were being arrested and put in chains and thrown in prison. When it says they were scattered, it, mean, it means they had to flee their life and run and hide. But it says that as they were doing that, they went about preaching the word. God, give us a heart to share the gospel. Give us a heart to share the gospel. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the, and when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. What were the signs that he did? If you read, you'll find out he was casting out unclean spirits. He was casting out demons. He was healing those who had been paralyzed. He was healing the lame. He was 
He was seeing men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. There was this explosion of gospel work, so much so that it says there was much joy in the city of Samaria. So he was obedient to do that. Then he, he was sent to Gaza, and he was faithful there. He was sent to Azotus, and he was faithful there. What is the point? It is this. He was faithful regardless of location. That is the call that God has on us, to be faithful right where we are. So let me just ask you to think about your neighborhood. Think about your neighbor. Think about the office where you work. Think about your place of business. Think about the ball teams that your kids play on. Think about your school. Think about the, the circles that God has given you to live in. And let me ask you, are you being faithful where you are to share the gospel? Faithful right where God has put you to share. Philip was faithful right where God had him. And that is what God is calling us to do. God will use ordinary men and women to do the extraordinary if we will simply be faithful where God has us. That's the first thing. Here's the second. We need to be obedient to what God says. We need to be obedient to what God says. Look back at verse 26 and 27 of Acts chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. This is a disciple that begins to preach. He starts this unbelievable revival in Samaria. People are being saved. The lame are being healed. Demons are being cast out. This is such a, a, an explosive work that the apostles hear about it. They then send two apostles to put their eyes on it. It's this unbelievable kingdom ministry. It is thriving. It is growing. And right in the middle of that, God says, now go to a desert place. That had to make no sense when Philip heard it. He said, I want you to go to a desert place. It's the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. It is a desert place. And oh, by the way, it is a 165-mile walk. Anyone? That's a long way. That's a long way to walk, folks. A hundred, and that is days upon days on your feet walking that distance. It is in the middle of nowhere. Can I tell you one of the things when I saw that, when I saw how far that was, you know what the Holy Spirit reminded me? Of, of the last time that I wouldn't walk across the street and, and just tell my neighbor about Jesus. He walked 165 miles to be obedient, not even knowing why God had told him to do it. And we struggle to walk off of our front porch to the front porch across the street and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the Lord has done some convicting in my heart this week. There's something else I want you to see, this idea of being obedient to what God says, and that is this. Philip did not know why he had been called before he said, yes, Philip was obedient you ready? Before he knew the plan. He said yes before he knew the plan. He ran 
to, when, when the Lord said, leave this and go to Gaza, he went. Why? Don't know, but I have to obey. When the, when the chariot is going by, it says the Spirit said, Philip, go to that chariot. And he ran to the chariot. Why? Because the Lord said, do it. And he did it. And this is the pattern we see on display in Philip's life. Philip, you're being called as a deacon. Serve the tables. Make sure that these widows are cared for. Yes, Lord. Philip, the church is being scattered, but as you go, I want you to preach the word without fear in the face of persecution. Yes, Lord. Philip, go to Samaria. I'm going to do a work there. You're going to save. You're going to heal. People are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're going to cast out unclean spirits. Yes, Lord, I will do that work. Philip, now right in the middle of this thriving ministry, I want you to take a 165-mile hike, and I want you to go to the desert and wait. Yes, Lord, I will do that. Philip was obedient before he knew every detail of the plan. I want you to hear this. There is a, there is a principle, I think, of, of obedience, of biblical obedience that we see at work in the life of Philip. And that is this. As Philip obeyed, God revealed. As Philip obeyed, God revealed. What do I mean by that? Well, backtrack all the way to Acts 6. Philip served the tables. You think when Philip started serving the tables, he had leading an Ethiopian eunuch to Christ in mind? No. He just knew to obey. You remember the, the parable of the, talent in, in, of the talents in Matthew 25 that Jesus told where the master had the talents and he gave them to his servants and then he went away. And when he came back, he, he asked for an account of what the servants had done with the talents. And two of them had taken the talents and caused them to grow. Do you remember what, what the master said to them? He said, because you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. That is the principle we see at work. Philip was faithful in the little, and God revealed the next. And as he was faithful there, God revealed even more. And so what we see is a man who goes from serving the tables to being one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church, and it happens over the span of two chapters in God's Word. Being obedient to what God says cannot be contingent upon us being comfortable with the plan. <laughs> Would anybody else just be honest with me and say there's been times I've missed gospel opportunities because I didn't know how it was going to work out? Because I, I just made me too uncomfortable. It scared me. I didn't do it. I missed, I missed the opportunity. God is calling. See, we look at that in Philip, and, and that seems like radical obedience. That seems like crazy, radical obedience. But in reality, Philip is just demonstrating a trust in the sovereign God. And he is going to walk in obedience. And as he does, God reveals the plan. When our kids were a little younger, Carrie and I tried this principle, and I, I don't know how great we were with it, but we called it first-time obedience. Anybody ever hear of this nonsense? Uh, the idea is you, you tell your kids one time, and then they do it. And that's it. It's, it was like some sort of magical formula that was supposed to work out great. And, uh, and it may have worked sometimes, um, but the, the idea behind the principle is you tell them once, and they obey. 
You tell them first time obedience. Guys, how'd we do? We do okay? <laughs> so here's the idea behind the principle. The idea is this. Your children may not understand why they're being told to do what they're doing, but their greatest blessing and their greatest measure of contentment is in being obedient to what we've told them to do. Why? Because as parents, we see further down the road than they do. Right? As parents, I can see the traps that the enemy might lay for them. I can see the missteps. Why? Because I've stepped in some of them. I can see where the road bends. I can help see around the corner. So when I say this is what we have to do, sometimes we do it because we're trusting that our parents or whoever is in authority can see further down the road. That is the principle we see at work in the life of Philip. The Spirit said, Philip, go, and he said yes. And he didn't have to know every detail of the plan. He didn't even ask why. He just rose and went. And as he was obedient... God revealed the next step. And as he was obedient in that step, he revealed the next step. Your, your, your deepest joy, your, your highest uh, contentment is intrinsically linked to your faithful obedience to what God has called you to do. Church, your deepest joy and your greatest contentment, your greatest satisfaction is intrinsically linked to your obedience to what God has called you to do. Some of you right now are in a season of trying to find joy, peace, contentment, and satisfaction outside of walking in obedience to the will of God. And I can tell you this, you can labor for the rest of your days and you will never have it. However, I, can, I believe God's word teaches us that in obedience to God, there is fullness of joy. There is peace and hope everlasting. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his going. What does Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 say about Jesus? It says that for the joy that was set before him, he what? He endured the cross, which is to say what? Jesus recognized my highest joy, my greatest measure of contentment, my greatest satisfaction in my relationship to my heavenly father is found in me walking in obedience, even through the cross. It says for the joy that was set before and believer, I can tell you now, it is time to stop laboring for joy. And it is simply time to start walking in obedience and trusting that the God of all hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing according to Romans 15, 13, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We are obedient to what God says. So we're faithful where we are, obedient to what God says. Here's the third thing I want you to see. We must be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now, think, think about with me, for just think about the arc of this story that we're reading. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch. He is heading back home from Jerusalem where he went to worship. 
Now, when he approached the outer court of the temple, do you know what he would have saw? He would have seen a sign, and here's what it would have said. No blind, no lame, no eunuchs. That's what the sign would have said. Why? Because they were considered outcasts. They were considered rejected, unclean, and unfit to enter into the, the temple to worship. And when Philip meets him, he happens to be reading in a section of Scripture. Look at verse uh, 32 and 33 again of Acts chapter 8. Now, the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He is reading Isaiah 53. We said that just a little bit ago. This is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are what? We are healed. That's what the eunuch is reading when Philip meets him. The Holy Spirit is already at work. He wouldn't have simply been reading that one chapter. He would have been reading all of the, the chapters around it, 53, 54, 55, 56, all of those chapters. I want you to see what he would have read in Isaiah 56, verse 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Do you think those words matter to this man? This guy's looking for some hope. This guy's looking for someone that will embrace and not reject him. And he's reading about this one who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's reading about this one who has said, I will set up a monument for the eunuchs who walk in obedience with me, and I will give them a name that is better than sons and daughters. And here comes Philip. The Spirit says, go to the chariot. And it doesn't say Philip walked. It says he ran to the chariot. And he hears the eunuch reading out loud this passage of Scripture. And the eunuch invites him up, and Philip shares the gospel. Why is it important to understand that? It is this. Every time you are presented with an opportunity to share the gospel, every time you are gifted with an opportunity to have a gospel conversation, here's what you can know. The Holy Spirit is already at work. It's already at work. You are not alone in that moment. The Holy Spirit is already at work. How do I know that? Because the opportunity presented itself. Because God does not operate in accidents. He operates in divine appointments. And when someone crosses my path and they do not know Jesus, it is a divine appointment and I can trust that the Holy Spirit is already at work and that can give me confidence to share 
the gospel. We must be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Be faithful where you are. Be obedient to what God says. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And here's the last thing. Be ready. Be ready to share the gospel. Look back at verse 35 again of, of Acts chapter 8. So we go through this. He, he hears where the, the eunuch is reading. The eunuch said, uh, Philip says, do you understand what this is about? And the eunuch says, how can I know if no one's here to guide me and to help me? And it says this in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He met the guy right where he was and shared Jesus. He immediately engaged him and said, I am going to meet this guy ready to share the gospel. Philip understood the necessity of opening his mouth and speaking the name of Jesus. That's our call. That's Matthew 28. That is the Great Commission. Philip understood it. He had received it, and he couldn't wait to help someone else receive it. We have to open our mouths to help those who are lost find their way. You remember back before Siri when it was possible to get lost? Anybody remember that? <laughs> I haven't been lost in years. Uh, but that's because she's always there to boss me around. But you remember back when we would have to unfold that 8 by 10 tarp of a map to try to figure out uh, where we were going to go? And it was actually possible to get, <laughs> to get lost. Remember when you were lost, that feeling you had of frustration, helplessness, hopelessness, wishing somebody knew the way? Remember that last time. Now imagine there's a friend in the car with you. They know right where we're supposed to go. They've been there before. They know the way. But they don't want to intrude. They, they don't want to hurt your feelings by telling you you've gone the wrong way and there's a better way. They don't want to invade your space. They don't want to hurt that relationship. What if you ask about directions and you don't know the answer? They're just not too, they're not confident. They know the way. They know the road ahead. They know where the construction is. They know where the turns are. And yet they sit in the car and don't say a word. Is that a friend at all? So who in your life are you sitting next to? And you know they're going the wrong way. You see the road ahead. And you're riding silent. Don't ride silent. God has called us to be ready to share the gospel. And we must open our mouth and speak it. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. Paul says this, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I love that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then Paul goes on to ask this question. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If they're going to call on the name of the Lord, 
If they have the opportunity to be saved, how can they do that if they haven't believed? How can they believe if they do not hear? And how can they hear if you and I don't stop being silent and engage our friend and engage our neighbor and engage our family and say there is a better way and his name is Jesus? God uses ordinary men and women just like me, just like you, to do extraordinary things. But we have to be faithful where we are, obedient to what God says, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing, and ready, ready to share the gospel. I believe God still does this in us today. I believe he still does this very thing in us today. Matter of fact, I believe he is doing it right here in our church. I have seen it in the lives of men and women over and over again, and I believe he is doing it right now. As a matter of fact, I have a good friend that I've asked to be here today. This is Miles Adamson. Miles, would you join me? You guys welcome Miles real quick. Let me tell you a little bit about Miles. Uh, he and his wife, Katie, are some of Carrie and I's great friends. And uh, they, uh, hopefully they don't hold that against you. Uh, I've known Miles for about seven years. Uh, that's how long he and his bride have been at New Beginnings. In about five of those years, we did uh, life together in life group. Miles um, was ordained as a deacon here. He and his bride have led um, the college ministry here for the last few years. They have four precious children, uh, Eli and Noel, who are their natural children, and then Noah and Olivia, who are their adopted children. And God has done some amazing things uh, in and through them. And God is doing something amazing through them now. And he has called them to something pretty unbelievable. And so, Miles, why don't you tell us a little bit about the opportunity that God has put in front of you and Katie? So uh, God, God has given uh, Katie and I an interesting uh, opportunity and, and led our hearts, uh, given us a desire for church planting, uh, which church planting is uh, just this, that uh, it's a strategic placement of uh, God's people uh, in, in areas that don't have gospel presence or don't have uh, kingdom advancement. And so God is calling uh, Katie and I to relocate our family to Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, in order to be able to be a part of a church plant uh, in in that area um, where there's not, not really a lot of gospel presence right now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's unbelievable. So how has God used you guys here? Answer that, but I also want you to answer, in all the ways he has used you here, did you ever see him using you in this way? Did you see this coming? Uh, so the short answer to that is no. Uh, my, my wife and I, we were born and raised in East Texas and thought we would live the entirety of our life here. Um, we, we have family here. There, there's really no reason for us uh, to leave. And so didn't see yeah. that on the radar at all. Um, but, but God, uh, you know, he, he has different plans. Um, and, uh, and, and really, too, we were comfortable in ministry. And so one of the things is that uh, my wife and I knew that we were called to uh, college ministry, and we've been serving faithfully there over the last five years, um, just loving on college students. And we've seen uh, college students come to faith. We've seen uh, disciples made within our college ministry, and that's been exciting to see. Uh, we've loved that um, and, and really weren't, weren't expecting to, uh, to see a transition out of that um, and, until recently. So when you think about then that journey that you guys have been through, how has God shaped you here at New Beginnings for, for this next step? 
Uh, yeah, and so thankfully, uh, just through New Beginnings and the opportunities that um, my wife and I have had, uh, we, we've been given opportunities to serve uh, mm -hmm. in, in different measures. And so uh, as, uh, as we've served, um, there's been opportunities that have arisen, like college ministry, mm -hmm. that we've uh, kind of stepped into and uh, filled gaps with. And God has used us in those areas. Uh, one of the things that we, we try to ask uh, each other on a regular basis as a family is just, God, what are you calling our family to next and try to be mm -hmm. faithful to just trying to find out um, what he'd be doing in our life. And yeah. we, we knew that over the last year or so that God was um, beginning to form in our hearts mm -hmm. uh, a desire for uh, a greater participation in ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a nurse practitioner by trade, um, but I, I knew, and, and both Katie and I knew that we were, we were being called into a more integral part of ministry. Yeah. Now you had a chance to go to Vegas in March. And so why don't you share with the church a little bit just about what God did in your heart while you were there back in March? Yeah. And so uh, our, our church supports a church plant in Las Vegas already. Uh, this, this church is Walk Church by uh, Pastor Hayden Ratner. Uh, and over the last uh, two years, two springs breaks, we've sent college students as a mission team in order to partner with Walk Church uh, and love the city uh, in, in Jesus' name. And I've been, a, I've been able to have the privilege of, of leading those trips, uh, and those have been amazing trips. But the most recent spring break in March, we had a morning where we went out and uh, we prayed over the city. So we went to this hilltop area where we were able to see and look over uh, the city of Las Vegas. And then there was a particular community, uh, this planned community called Mountain's Edge. And uh, we were able to meet this church planter. Uh, his name's Pastor Ryan, uh, Ryan Ivy. And as we were there, uh, he shared with us a little bit about the vision of Image Church and what God is, is already doing in that area to prepare uh, his heart to be able to uh, plant this church in Mountain's Edge. And Mountain's Edge, just a little bit about that area, uh, is it's a planned community that's still in development, but uh, by the time that it's uh, finished development, it will have 60,000 residents without one evangelical church. Mm. And so there's a large population. I, I know one of the things that, that racked my brain is after I heard that, um, I mean, we have about, I think, 89,000 mm. uh, residents in Longview. Um, but, I mean, we have... You know, 70, mm -hmm. 80 churches. There's, there's a, a, a large portion there. And so mm -hmm. there's not a lot of gospel presence in this area. And one of Pastor Ryan's specific prayer requests was that there would be individuals uh, that would feel called by God to come and join him in that effort. And so as we're there and as we're praying, as our team is praying over this area, I just immediately felt uh, God just starting to, mm -hmm. that question inside of my heart, you know, you know, am I, are you calling us to this? Uh, and I couldn't help but think of Matthew 9 when Jesus looks to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, and mm. so just asking God, you know, are we, are we some of those laborers that you're calling mm. to the space? I have to imagine if I put myself in your shoes, I hear that in March, I feel like the Lord's doing this, but I've got to come home and talk to my bride now. Yeah. So how, how did Katie respond when you were making those phone calls to tell her what you thought God was doing in your heart? Yeah, so, of course, that was a, an important part of the, <laughs> of the um, calling. And so I, I called Katie and I immediately just asked her to be praying um, for just what God, what I believe God was doing in my heart. Um, and, and her immediate response, I mean, she would tell you this, is that uh, she just responded with a, 
of course, of course is what God is doing um, for our family. And she was immediately able to look back over the last several months and over the last mm. year uh, and just see that God, uh, just way, ways God had been preparing our family mm. for this transition and for um, this, this mm. move. Yeah. So you hear the voice of the Lord. You feel like he's doing this work in March. Katie's on board. God's moving. So what has God done from March to today to just show his sovereign hand and his provision for you and your family? Uh, he, he's done a whole lot. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, I could, I could talk an hour about all of the things that God has done in our life, but just to share a few, with, um, a few of those with you, God has been extremely faithful. Um, sometimes the selling of a home can be very frustrating and a very uh, long, drawn-out process, but uh, our home was only on the market for about 48 hours before we got an offer, and, mm. um, and we're able to sell that quickly. Mm. Uh, we're able to find a home in Las Vegas. Um, I was was able to to also uh, get a job and so I have a job there as well working in a clinic and I didn't even know to pray for this but it's at a clinic that's um, that's a Christian um, or it's a it's a Christian healthcare clinic and mm. they have a gospel centered focus and are trying to impact their community for mm. uh, Christ um, and, and again I mean I didn't even know to, mm. to look for that, but um, God, is, God has been faithful. Um, and then also to provide a school uh, mm. for our kids uh, in particular. We have, uh, we have a son who has some special needs, and, mm. and being able to have a school district who's able to uh, meet those needs was important, um, and, and God has proven faithful with that too. Amen. And that's what he does, right? So here's what I want you to know about their story. Um, before their house sold, before Miles had a job, before there was a school that could meet the, the unique needs of their family, they said yes. It was yes, and then God began to do the other. So I, I want you to see this is not something that just happened in the book of Acts. This is something that is happening in our spiritual family right here at New Beginnings, right here uh, among us. So, Miles, I know you guys are excited. Tell me what you're most excited about uh, with what's coming next, and then tell us how your church can be praying for you. Yeah. So uh, I think I'd be just most excited to see the way that God's going to move uh, in Mountain's Edge. Mm. Um, we, we know that we have a God who's uh, a big God, and we're praying big prayers for that. But we also know that uh, we, we serve a God that does far more abundantly than we can ever hope or imagine. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're trusting in that, trusting that God is going to do a mighty work there and, and praying to that uh, effect. Uh, and really, I mean, just, just pray for our family, um, specifically for transitioning and, and our kids, um, just getting into school and, and yeah. that they would have friends and be able to uh, make those acquaintances um, is just uh, just important that our, our family uh, is able to settle well. Yeah. That's awesome. Church, have you been encouraged by Miles' story, he and his bride, Katie? I, I know that I have been encouraged to see this work happening in he and his family over the last uh, seven years, really. Um, and and I want us as a body to pray specifically for them today. We're going to do that. But we're also going to pray in anticipation of what God wants to do right here in this room among us. And so we're going to worship. We're going to respond. Our ministers will be down here at the front. And here's, here's what I want on your heart as you respond. Some of you may have heard me talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ and heard me say that when I was nine years old, I met him and he changed my life. And your confession would be, my life has not been changed by that person, but it needs to be. 
I'm trying to find hope and joy and all this other stuff apart from him, and I, it, I, I need to meet Jesus. If that's you, I want you to come. I want you to take one of us by the hand this morning and let us pray with you and help you do that. Maybe this morning your confession is, I've met him, but I've never took that next step of obedience and been baptized and declared to my spiritual family the work that Jesus has done. If that's you, I want you to come take us by the hand. Let us help you take that next step. Maybe this morning your confession is, I have not walked in obedience to the call that God has on my life. I know he is calling me to engage my neighbor, to engage my coworker, to engage my friend, to engage my community, to engage in my neighborhood, and I'm simply not doing it. I want you to know you can come to this altar this morning and just pray and let the Lord wash that away, find that forgiveness, stand up new, and go out in obedience. Your greatest joy, your highest measures of contentment and satisfaction are bound up in your uh, obedience to what God is calling you to do. So let me ask you this question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who is the one God is intersecting in your life for you to personally share the gospel with? If nothing else, pray for that one right now. If you don't have that one, I want you to be begging God to give you the one. We believe that God can do great things. Amen? Amen. And because we believe that, because we believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and because we have been transformed by it, we have no choice but to step out of our comfort zone and see that good news given to others. Amen? Let's pray, then we're going to worship, and we're going to respond. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. I am so grateful right now, Father, for uh, Miles, for Katie, for their precious kids, God, for Eli and Noel, for Noah, for Olivia. And Father, I am asking right now that in the name of Jesus, you would move in power for this family. I just want to celebrate and say thank you for all the ways you've done it up to this point. And God, we, we recognize there is more of that needed. And so we are asking in faith, believing in faith that you will do it. God, I pray for kingdom success not anything that they can take credit for, but God, something they just get to step into where you are already at work and you begin to transform that neighborhood, that town, that city, and that state for the kingdom because of this, uh, the obedience of this family. God, I pray for lasting gospel friendships. God, where these, they're able to find men and women who have a heart for you and they're able to share their life with them and be about kingdom work together. God, I pray that you would protect them, that your sovereign hand would be on them. I pray for the Walk Church. I pray for all that they are a part of, Lord God, that you would be in every detail, that your Holy Spirit would move in power. And Lord God, I pray for us this morning, for those of us that are in this room who need to make you our Lord and Savior, God, that we would have the confidence to step out and step up. God, for those of us who have not walked in obedience, whether that is around baptism or whether that is about walking across the street and sharing, God, would you give us the confidence to step out, to repent, and to put our heart before you, God, and to, to renew our commitment to walk in obedience. Father, thank you for loving us. I am praying right now as we respond, God, that your Holy Spirit would move in power. This is your time, Lord. So, Spirit, come and move. We ask it in Jesus' great name.